0: In 1776, Adam Smith wrote a book called The Wealth of the Nations. Here's one of the more famous quotes. It says, Riches leave a man always as much and sometimes more exposed than before to anxiety, to fear, and to sorrow. The language is a bit archaic, but I think we get the idea. But maybe to help us, in 1997, this language was updated as Mo Money, Mo Problems. Thank you, Diddy and Notorious B.I.G. A common mantra for today, no doubt. more money, more problems. We're concerned with money. We think it will reduce our fears when we get it. But we're even more anxious than before, because now that we have it, we can lose it, and we never really have enough. We're simple people, really. We have desires, and we chase after them. We're anxious and running after them, and when we get them, we're anxious that we'll lose them, and then anxious still that we don't have enough. So I don't have to ask you if you're anxious or if you worry. I I know you do. We all do. The family budget, GCSEs, the boiler that's on the fritz, your partner, the parents you take care of, the person you're interested in, your busy schedule, is your job going anywhere, spending time with your kids. Speaking of the kids, what about their behavior? What about their school? Are you feeling anxious yet? (laughs) We're just getting started. We could list and go on and on and on. You know, from big events to everyday stuff like that. We live awash in anxiety, and it cripples us. I mean, can you even imagine a life free from anxiety? Can you even imagine a life completely free from worry? Our imaginations just aren't even strong enough for that. So I don't need to convince you that we have anxiety, but I think we all need convincing that anxiety isn't good and doesn't have to be a part of us. Jesus tells us, in his manifesto, to not commit murder, to not commit adultery, and we're like, yes, we get that. Those things are bad. Jesus, in the same force, says, do not worry, and we're like, Ugh. but, But I'm a worrier. We've, we've created this identity for ourselves. I, that's who I am. I, just just a little bit, right, Jesus? Now, what if we reverse that? But Jesus, I, I'm a murderer, so just a little murdering. Is that that's kind of who I am? But Jesus tells us it doesn't have to be that way. And whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not, he offers you a way out of anxiety today. And before I go any further, um, I, I think I need to clarify about what we're, exactly we're talking about here. Because anxiety can have a broad definition. There are medical reasons that need medication. There are psychological reasons that need professional counseling. And all those things are helpful and good. And if you need those things, you should get those things. There's no shame in any of that. There's a lot of shame associated with anxiety, but there ought not to be. But what Jesus is talking about here, though, is something very different than that. It's a problem that arises from a lack of trust in God. It's a spiritual poverty. And whether we are affected medically or psychologically or whatever, we are all affected spiritually. We all have a spiritual anxiety. And that levels the playing field because whether you're an expert or either in giving counsel or receiving counsel, or whether you think, yeah, but you don't really know my life, my life ought to be anxious. All of us in here are on the same line, the same field. We are all anxious because we all lack the trust in God that we need. And Jesus is speaking to all of us in the same way. Okay, so everyone in here suffers from anxiety, but why do we suffer from it? Why does that happen? Well, first, our desires are disordered. We don't have the right desires. And so we chase after the wrong things. Secondly, we trust. And the wrong things. So, not only do we have a wrong kind of view of where we want to go, we're also using the wrong ways to get there. So, we're going in the wrong direction and using broken ways to get there. Only Jesus can cure us from our anxiety. He reorders our desires to reflect His kingdom, a secure kingdom, and He enables us to trust in the goodness of the Father. And this Father will never let us down. Let's start with just the uh, disordered desires section. This is uh, verses 19 through 24. We want the wrong things. We're easily satisfied by small things. We desire comfort above all, feeling significant above all, or having a partner above all. And even these small things are actually kind of impossible to attain because we can always get better ones. So we stay on this forever looping hamster wheel. We can never get off. We get worn out. We're going in the wrong direction. And Jesus, in these verses, uses three main um, kind of images, three main metaphors. Storing treasure, seeing eyes, and serving masters. So let's start with with storing treasure. In the previous verses, Jesus is contrasting two ways to live. You can either live as a religious person, you can either live as a hypocrite, or as one with authentic faith. And you get your reward for either. So he's talking about rewards. Now Jesus is talking about treasure. Treasure is where you store those rewards. It's like like a bank. Where do you deposit the rewards that you get? This is what Jesus is talking about here. Rewards on earth aren't just fleeting. They're eaten up by moths. They're over time they just corrode, or people just steal them. Rewards that are stored in heaven, though, they're not eaten. They're not corroded. They can't be stolen. They're secure. Treasure on earth is destined to be lost. You will be anxious to get it, anxious to keep it. And what does it deliver? Anxiety. Treasure in heaven is secure. And that gives us something because it actually frees us from the anxiety. So our treasure is what we truly desire above everything else. Jesus says, where your treasure is, that your heart is also. The heart is what you desire above everything. And so Jesus is asking us, where are you storing your rewards? There's your heart. On earth, with earthly things, or in heaven, with the Father. So that's treasure. The next one, um, this uh, seeing eyes metaphor in verses 22 and 23, it's uh, a bit strange, a little mysterious the way Jesus is talking about. Basically what he's saying is if you have a healthy eye, you're going to be full of light. If your eye is diseased, you'll be full of darkness. Now, keeping an eye on something is talking, again, like treasure. It's attention. I got my eye on it. Or you might tell somebody, I got my eye on you. I'm paying attention to you. Spiritually speaking, seeing clearly means having the ability to see and focus on the right things. One way to tell if you have healthy eyes is, are you full of light? Do you feel like you're full of light? Do you go about your day full of joy, full of gladness, knowing that you are seeing clearly the world around you? Or do you feel a bit cloudy, overcome by darkness? And that affects everything that you see. Having the right desires leads to light. Having the wrong desires leads to darkness. The last image is that of serving masters in verse 24. Jesus doesn't ask us if we should serve a master. He assumes that we will. Our desires are our masters. What we love, that's what we serve. And Jesus wants to know what your bank account reflects. He's getting in there. You know, I think one reason Jesus talks about money is because it can stand for so many things. Money can stand for control. Money can stand for power. It can stand for success. We're very religious when it comes to money. We expect it to save us from our problems. It's on our minds all the time. Now, and when we actually get the money, it's never enough, because we could always use, like, 10% more. I mean, have you turned down a a job promotion, because you're like, I really don't need the money, it's fine. You know, you've already spent it in your head. You know exactly where that money is going to go. Money is a bad master, because it will always ask you to sacrifice for it, and your sacrifice will always be more than it can give back to you. It's a bad return on investment, and yet we keep on investing. No wonder we're anxious. In 1658, there was a farmer in a village outside Norfolk who uncovered about 50 burial urns. They were either from Roman times or Saxon times. We weren't quite sure. And they weren't buried very deep. They were about a yard. So as this farmer is tilling his ground, he kind of runs over these these urns. You know, in each urn, there were bones of the dead, and they were, were apparently very rich men, possibly aristocrats of their time. But by the time the farmer found these remains, their identities were completely lost. Nobody knew who they were, And more than that, they didn't even know if they were Roman or Saxon. They didn't even know what century these people were from or where they died. If our desires are small and earthly, and even if we attain them, which isn't guaranteed, our marks on this world will ultimately be insignificant and lost. We will eventually lose our identity. And people about us won't even care about us because they won't even know about us. They won't even know what century we died in. So because we're only here for a short time, let's focus on the things that last. Let's spend our time in those areas. But we have a problem, because we all have a desire disorder. We're drawn to the things that don't last. We're drawn to money. We're drawn to status, that job, instant gratification, like sex and food and shiny objects. You know, at the end of our life, what will we have to show for it? Storing treasure, Jesus is asking you, where are your desires? Seeing eyes, Jesus is asking you, what are you focused on? And serving masters, Jesus is asking you, what are you sacrificing for? And how do these things affect us now? Because it all leads to anxiety. We know that. We know that from experience. Well, here's some examples. One, we start off, we feel empty. And that produces anxiety, because no one likes feeling empty. And so you think, well, I'm lonely, so I'm anxious. Or I feel insignificant, so I'm anxious. And so what we do is like we make a plan. Oh, so I am going to ask that person out on a date. I will date that person, or I will get that job. Now, either we don't achieve those things, which produces anxiety, because if they reject me... I'm supposed to be lonely, I'm not enough, and that, that gives us more anxiety. Or if we don't get that job, like, oh, I knew it, I'm not, I'm not significant enough, and they saw through it, they saw exactly who I was. I'm truly insignificant. That's anxious. So either we don't get it, and we end up anxious, or we do achieve it. They said, yes, I got the job. Oh, that's great. You know, maybe we feel good for a little bit. This relationship is exciting. I feel understood. I feel cared for. Or this job is wonderful. I feel alive. I'm actually using my gifts. But it's not enough because we were meant for more than relationships or jobs. And so over time, this relationship, it's a little bit of work, and I still feel lonely at times. Or in this job, it's it's great, but I still have feelings of not really, surely it's more than this. I'm doing a lot more paperwork than I thought. So then the answer is, okay, what do we do next? Do we look for a different relationship, or do we kind of settle for a subpar relationship, or do we try and obsess and focus over fixing that relationship? That's all very anxious. Or we look for a new promotion, and we, re- we search really hard for that, or, or a job change, a career change, or we slip into a humdrum life, always knowing that there's something better for us out there, and we were never able to get it. That's all very anxious, too. And we go round and round and round without questioning that cycle to begin with. You see how it just kind of feeds itself over and over and over again. We set the goals. They make us feel good for a bit. We eventually feel empty, so we set more goals, and we get more and more anxious. Well, Jesus wants to burn all of that down. He wants to rescue us from our anxiety-fueled futility cycles. He says, you have a heart problem, and I want to rescue you. Your treasure is too small. Your eyes are too unhealthy. Your masters are not worth serving. You are stricken with anxiety, and by yourself, you only have anxiety to look for to get yourself out. I can rescue you, but only if you understand that you need my rescue. you get why it's important for us to have good desires? They they affect all parts of us. We're always trying to place them somewhere else, selling ourselves short, but Jesus reorders our heart, and in giving himself up for us, he allows us to want the right things, to not be driven by anxiety, but to be freed by love and acceptance. Now, if we look at verse 25, there's a word, therefore, and this connects the uh, first little section here, 19 through 24, with with the rest of the chapter here that we're going to get at. So what we desire connects with what comes next. What we desire connects with why we ought not to worry. And first, let's talk about maybe another cause of anxiety. So we have disordered trusts, but we uh, also—disordered desires, but we also have misplaced trusts. So our hearts desire the wrong things. We love the wrong things. We're going in the wrong direction, and we're also trusting in the wrong things to get us there. We believe money is going to rescue us from our fears of not being comfortable— or we really believe that job will rescue us from feelings of insignificance. Or other people will rescue us from a fear of loneliness. So we look to the wrong things. And that produces anxiety. And so let's hear what, what, what Jesus says here. He focuses on food and clothes. Food and drink and clothes. Now most people in Jesus' day would probably have more of a reason to be anxious for their food and drink than we would. Um, if you didn't work or if you didn't fish that day, you basically you didn't eat. And so even in that situation, which is worse than most of where we are, I would imagine, Jesus says, do not worry even in that situation. Food is what sustains us. We eat it, we internalize it, it allows us to survive and continue in the endless loop of searching for more food. Clothing is something external. It shields us from the outside world. It protects us from the elements. It also protects us from our shame. It signals to others our place in the world. And, and that affects us. I mean, you know how people treat you differently if you're dressed nicely. Um, or, or you even act differently if you're dressed nicely. All of a sudden, your vocabulary changes and you get a very posh accent. Even me, I don't know where it comes from. So food is an internal need. A clothes is an external need. So whether internally or externally, Jesus is addressing it all. And people were constantly chasing after these things. In verse 32... Jesus says, for the pagans run after all these things. Now, the biblical use of pagan is is different than we would use today. Um, You might say, oh, that that pagan never washes his car, or whatever you might want to use. Pagan, for that time, was actually a very religious person. They had lots of gods, multiple gods, um, different gods over different things, whether it was, like, gods over fertility or farming or whatever. There were different localized gods or gods that were over larger areas, and they all required different kinds of appeasing So they're running after these things. Now, even though our culture is not very religious, this is a lot like our culture today. We don't call it religious, but it's the same thing. So how do we, the pagans of today, run after these internal and external needs? Well, we have our own hierarchy of gods. The god of success might require loneliness, might require you to sacrifice sleep, might require you to sacrifice time, might require you to sacrifice your children. The God of comfort leverages your fear of failure and tells you not to risk, to continue to accumulate, not just for today or for tomorrow, as if any of that could be enough, but for your children's today and your children's tomorrow. Our lives are spent in misplaced trust, attempting to appease all these gods in all these different kind of ways. And we're never quite sure we've done enough because these gods are never going to tell us. Will success ever tell you, you know what, you're all right, just hang out. That'll never happen. So some more hours at work More money in the bank, a little more couldn't hurt. And try as we might, we don't find peace. We don't find joy. We run after these things, but it all leads to anxiety. It's a system set up to always ask for more and never actually give us security in return. We can't not be anxious. This is how pagans live. This is how we live. There's an uh, an old ad for Forbes magazine I came across that um, I'll read because the text is too small. Um, you have this kind of well-to-do guy shaking someone's hand in a corner there. He says, Eddie was determined to escape the mailroom. Ed volunteered for anything he could volunteer for. Edward caught his boss's eye with a shrewd business proposal. Mr. Edward Parks, marketing genius, catapulted sales skyward. President E. Parks tells people to call me Eddie. And the little strap line is never settle. But... There are many eddies in this world. Only a limited amount of presidents e-parks. How many people are in the mail room? There's only one president. There are only so many spots. Are you gonna get in? Are you doing enough? Are you are you settling? You know, success is your ultimate goal. You can't not be anxious. The best possible outcome for your life is being rich, being comfortable getting a nice house in South Manchester with a big family, having a big church, or if the worst possible outcome is you losing your job, not having enough money, getting divorced, being a failure, these are all the empty hopes and fears our culture tells us to focus on. And they all create anxiety because for much of this, we're actually not in control. And for the parts that we are in control of, we know we're actually not good enough to be good at. And so we look to other things to get us there. I'm anxious about not having comfort in my life, so my trust in getting more money is going to rescue me from my anxiety. Or, I'm anxious about being seen as a failure, a leech on society not doing my bit, so I will trust that success in my job will rescue me from this anxiety. But success is a liar. Money is a liar. Comfort is a liar. Just like any other god in the Old Testament, these things take and take and take and take and they never give back. We don't have it within us to stop giving. We continue, we we flock to their altars and say, what else can I sacrifice to you? Please, let me give you more. We place our trust in things that are fundamentally not trustworthy. We started anxious and we're left anxious. We need to be rescued. Now, if there was a better way to live, wouldn't we flock to that? Wouldn't that be compelling? Wouldn't we want to live in some other way than this? Well, that's what Jesus is telling us. He's going to to talk about it. So let's talk about how Jesus cures us of anxiety. The cure for anxiety is trust in the Father. The first lesson Jesus gives us is one from nature. Jesus tells us to contemplate nature, the birds and the flowers. Birds aren't anxious about food. Now, they may not be smart enough to be able to be anxious about food, um, but we who are supposedly more intelligent use that intelligence on being anxious about being food. So who's really the smarter one there? The flowers are even less intelligent. They don't even work. And yet, they're, they're cared for. Jesus says, if the Father takes care of these significant and insignificant animals and plants, surely he's going to take care of you. You are the pinnacle of God's creation, the apple of his eye. There is nothing the Father cares more about in the universe that he created other than you. You are it. He holds everything together, and his care is focused on you. He would rather die than let anything come between you and him. So trust in the Father. God is powerful enough. If God created the world, surely he can handle your finances. We don't believe that, but it's true. God is good enough. There has never been a more selfless being to ever exist other than the Father, other than God himself. The perfect God gave himself up, Jesus, for those who never really trusted him to begin with. Think of it from, from God's perspective. What else can I do to these people to prove that I love them, to prove that I'm trustworthy? And maybe you're sitting there and you're like saying to yourself, okay, I, I have the right theology. I believe he's powerful. I believe he's good. But, you know, he's just maybe not as powerful or as good to me. I, mean, I, get, I am there often. The problem with that is, is doubting God's presence in our lives. I'm a bit like that. But just as God is present for a bird or a flower, He's even more present for you. You may not see him. You may not understand him, but that doesn't change the fact that he's with you through everything, especially when you don't think he's there. So why not give away your trust to him instead of something else that's just get a lie and steal from you in the end? So trusting in the Father leads to seeking his kingdom first, and that's how we get around the anxieties for today. We are always seeking. Is it earthly treasure? With diseased eyes? Serving the thankless God of money? Trust in me and seek ye first the middle class. Isn't that what we really want? Well, maybe some of us don't want to be called middle class, but really let's just be honest and say, we just want to be comfortable. We want to just do the things we want to do. Now, if your goal in life is to pursue the middle class ideals of comfort, of possessions, of being nice, not only will you live in anxiety, you will have wasted your life. Now hear me, I'm not saying anything middle class is bad in itself. It doesn't have to be. But if that's what we're seeking first, that leads to anxiety. And you will have wasted your life. And over time, our hearts will harden, and the plaster walls of our houses become the dirt walls of our graves. The same word describing the pagans running after food and clothes. In verse 32, For the pagans run run after all these things is the same word Jesus uses in verse 33, but seek first. So he really could say, for the pagans are seeking after all these things, but you seek first the kingdom. The pagans run after all these things, but you run first after the kingdom. The pagans chase after these things, but you chase first after the kingdom. He's not saying, stop seeking, don't desire. He's saying, seek the right things, and your desires are actually too low. Desire more. If we trust in God, he shapes our desires and reorders them. And when God reorders our life, he takes us off the hamster wheel of anxiety and allows us to seek his kingdom, which means we can live in freedom. If there was anyone in the world who could understand why someone would feel anxious, it would be Jesus. If anyone has the excuse to be anxious, it's Jesus. None of us, nobody here has had to carry the burden he's had carrying the sins of of the world. Jesus is the only one who can really ever say, you don't know what it's like. And yet, he wasn't anxious. He trusted in the Father. He sought his kingdom first. The Father said to Jesus, you are my son, I am so delighted in you. I love you and I'm pleased with you. And Jesus knew he was the apple of his Father's eye. Now for those that follow Jesus, the Father says the same thing about us. I don't know about you, but I didn't have a very good earthly father, and that often translates to the way I view my heavenly father. I don't understand really what it means to be the apple of my father's eye. I don't really believe that. But the more I understand and live out my identity as God's son, one who I don't have to show off to, I don't have to prove myself to, I don't have to produce anything amazing in order to be loved, that is radically freeing. I can trust in God because I know God himself went to the greatest lengths for me. Despite the suffering, Jesus went to his death willingly and took away my need to be anxious. He couldn't prove his love, his care, his devo- devotion to me any more than what he already has done. And also, Jesus resurrected for me to not only prove his love, but to empower me to live in such a way that I can be freed from anxiety, and so can you. But because we can't cure ourselves, Jesus has to take it away from us. He has to take it upon himself. And he did. That's one of the reasons why he died, was for your anxiety. You ever thought about that? It's one of the reasons Jesus died. So if you follow him, your worrying has already been put on him on the cross. He's already taken it from you. Why would you want to take it back? Sometimes, though, our prison cells, however horrible they may be, can give feelings of comfort, can give feelings of security, of control. Surely there's a better way to live. If you have never trusted Jesus with your anxiety, you can today. Now, now is the a, a best time to do it. You can be freed from your anxiety. Actually, everyone in here, regardless of what you came in believing, everyone in here can be freed from their anxiety. Now, the way to do that is to ask him, very simple, Jesus, take my anxiety. And that also means and leads to trusting in the Father to take care of us. And then, Instead of seeking the other things that produce that anxiety within us, we get to seek his kingdom, which produces freedom and, and joy and gladness and love within us. Now this frees us and allows us to live as we have always, always have hoped. Who doesn't want to live with more peace, with more joy, with more generosity in more thankfulness for what God has given us? And that's why Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Only through Jesus and living in his kingdom, we don't just find a cure to anxiety. We find everything else. We find the freedom to live in all the ways we really want. Real comfort, true security, a way out from our feelings of insignificance, a way out from our feelings of loneliness. Now this applies um, to many, many areas, but there's two specific spots in our church today that are particularly urgent. Um, The one we've already mentioned is is the gift day on the 25th. Now, the gift day is an opportunity to really see how you view your money and your heart. Jesus talks a lot about money. Where is your treasure? Does how you give match up with seeking the kingdom first, or is there a disconnect? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. It's an opportunity for you to investigate that. And also, we're not just planting one church, we're planting two churches, as we we talked about. One in in Charlton and one in, in Brisbane. Have you asked yourself if you should join in or or how you can be a part of them? If you have or if you haven't, if you're joining or if you're not, the question is, are you seeking God's kingdom first? Or are you seeking something else, your comfort or success or something cool above all? These are both opportunities to look at our life and to ask God, do I make these decisions out of anxiety, out of a disordered desire, out of a misplaced trust? Or am I making my decisions out of the freeing reality of living in my Father's kingdom and seeking that first? Now notice when talking about anxiety, this is something that happens often. We get shamed for feeling anxious often, even within the church, and that shame brings on more anxiety and just kind of doesn't really work very well that way. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't shame people into believing in him. He offers a loving way out for someone who believes in him and someone who doesn't believe in him yet. So if you're feeling uh, massive feelings of anxiety, um, that will accom- like shame will accompany that. It, that will happen. But Jesus says it doesn't have to be that way. You seek my kingdom first, and I can free you from all of it. Let's pray to him. Jesus, we thank you for your words because we know um, you tell the truth to us. And Lord, we know we so badly need to be rescued. We don't just need to be rescued once. We need to be rescued over and over and over and over again, multiple times a day, a million times a day. And Lord, you do that. We thank you that you love us so much. You don't leave us how we are. You don't leave us to kind of wallow in our shame and our anxiety and wonder how we're going to eat or how we're going to drink or what is tomorrow going to be like. Lord, you provide security. You provide the way out to a a life of freedom, a life of love, a life where we can give out of generosity instead of out of our lack. We thank you for that, Lord. We place our hearts in your hand because we trust you. Father, we trust you that you will do good things with our hearts, that you will take care of us, that you will protect us. We know treasure that you protect with you in heaven, Is worth seeking your kingdom first for. So we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that as we go about our day and our week, that we would all the more place more and more trust in you as you bring to light more and more ways that we trust in things that aren't worth our trust at all. We thank you for being a loving God, a powerful God, a God who is present here with us, we pray.